Join me in the book of praise, the book of joy in Philippians chapter 2. As we've been looking, I've just been encouraged by Paul's example and his writings through the book of Philippians. And I'm just so thankful for, uh, for the Word of God. I'm thankful for the change it makes in a life and how that God can use it in such a tremendous way. And, you know, I think about all that Paul has written so far. And, and as we, we get here through, uh, through uh, to Philippians chapter 2, by far has been one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, you know, as we think about Philippians 2, you, you have just a great instruction in the first four verses that we're going to look at tonight. And then, and then he sets out some examples for us to follow. And Jesus Christ being a great example, the perfect example, the, 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 the best example for us. And then he talks about Epaphroditus and he talks about Timothy and he talks about some other examples for us to follow. And so as we think about about Philippians 2. It's an exciting chapter, and I, I hope that uh, we can uh, just grow immensely through it. We're going to look at the first four verses tonight. Uh, really, my desire is to just find God's consolation in suffering. Uh, consolation meaning comfort, uh, if you will. And so we think about all that life holds, and I'm thankful that uh, for God's consistency in our life, and that He is always the same. And it doesn't matter if it was Paul's time or our time. Uh, in 2020, we recognize that God is still the same. Paul was facing problems in his life and ministry. We face problems in ours. But his problems were probably worse than ours. Amen? There were problems at Rome. We see this in chapter 1, as we already saw in verses 15 through 18. They were with some of the people in Rome. Some of the people were in Philippi were giving him problems. He had problems everywhere he went, it seemed like. I don't know if he was one of those guys that liked a big stick in a pot and he liked to stir it. I'm not sure, but I do know that preaching the gospel, uh, as, as he did, oftentimes uh, is uh, very costly. And so he just was willing to preach. He brought the good news and he, he taught and he preached and oftentimes he, he uh, dealt with the fallout from that. What a great example for us that we can follow. Let's preach the gospel. You know, I, things in our society may change. You know, and you know, who knows what happens on the next election. I'll tell you this much. It doesn't matter which direction the wind blows. God's still the same. The Word's still the same. We're going to continue preaching Romans 1. Amen? All right. All of it. But Romans 1 in particular. But as we look here, we see that uh, Paul concludes chapter 1. And, and I just want to go backtrack just a little bit in verse number 27. And he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the, sake, for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. And so Paul just encourages the church. And this is kind of where we left off last time. He says, listen, just as a church, let's strive together for the gospel. Let's continue to go forward for Jesus Christ. Let's continue to, to make that uh, the priority in what we do. And so we take all of that that we read, and then we come to chapter 2. And he says, if there be therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit if any bowels and mercies fulfill you, my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Philippians and the, the book and the challenge here tonight. Lord, and as a church, we gather together and we Pray tonight for 
uh, just our ministries that are going on from discipleship to the children's ministries uh, to our youth ministries and everything that's happening through the building. And as we as a, uh, the body that's here in this, in this room tonight gather, we pray that, Father, that you would help us to find that consolation in our suffering. Lord, and be reminded of this truth. And Lord, I, I, you know, I, it's impossible for me to know every circumstance of every life, but you do. And you know who you've prepared this for, and I pray that uh, the heart of each and every person, Lord, would be comforted as a result. We praise you, Lord, and thank you for Christ, and we pray these things in his blessed name. Amen. As we look here, we see that Paul really begins to just encourage us regarding a few things uh, here. And, and I just want to remind you uh, that he instructs about unity. He instructs about the need to strive together. He, and he says, if there be therefore, as a result of all that we just talked about, as a result of the desire to strive together in the gospel, he says, he says there's some things we need to do. There's some things we need to seek out. And I just want to point these out. First off, we see our fellowship in the Spirit because if we want and desire God's consolation, we've got to walk in the Spirit. I appreciate uh, what Benjamin Franklin said to the, uh, upon the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He said, if we must all hang together, or assuredly we shall all hang separately. You know, and, and as, as, I, as Paul, as we think about Paul's instruction here to the church, I'm just reminded of the importance of unity because I know that Satan, as a, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. And he desires to destroy churches with disunity. And he desires to destroy churches with, uh, uh, by removing the harmony there. And so uh, if we desire to keep that, we've got to be willing to walk in the Spirit of the Lord. And so he says these things, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any uh, comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and, mercy, uh, and bowels and mercies. So there's some conditions of the fellowship here. And so we see in, in, in first off, he says, The consolation in Christ. Christ was about to be offered on the cross, and we find him encouraging his disciples in John 13. And, and knowing that, that they were about to enter an intense time of pain as, as they would lose their, their leader, they would lose Jesus, he would go to the cross and be crucified. Jesus reminds them in John 13, he says, They shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Choose to love instead of hurting each other. And so 1 John 2, 1 reminds us, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we see here that Jesus is our advocate, which, is, is, which means one who is called to your side, one who is your aid, or one who pleads another's cause before a judge. And so our advocate and consolation is Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and I think about when we go through, uh, through difficulties, the one that we need, the one that we should cling to is Jesus and Jesus alone. Sometimes we cling to other things. Sometimes it's a bottle if you've got a vice for that. Sometimes it's uh, some other addiction or addictive behavior. It could even be eating can be a vice. But the Bible says that Christ is our advocate. He is our consolation. He is our comfort. He is the one that we cling to. I think of uh, John chapter 15 and verse 5, and he reminds us that when we plug into him, he is, our, uh, he is the vine and we are the branches, and when we plug into him, then we receive fruit. And so we see that the need there, and the very first thing is to find our consolation in Christ. And we also see there's a comfort of love. If there be any comfort of love, true comfort originates in God, and it's to us. Uh, and so God is the, the giver of all real comfort in life. And you know, I think about lazy boy and all those things that we get comfortable in. But really, 
Jesus Christ is the one that brings real comfort in our life, no matter the situation. Even Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 and verses 3 through 5. As Paul writes here, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And he says, Who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be uh, able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so he's teaching that just as uh, we seek him for comfort, we also give that comfort to those around us. And he goes on in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And so as we see people going through uh, different despair, and, we, and I'm so thankful for our church family. Thank you for the ladies that uh, served uh, the Beck family today. Thank you for taking care and loving on them and investing in them and cooking food, amen. There's nothing like a warm cooked meal that speaks right to the heart or the stomach, whichever you might want to look. But it, it, either ways, it just really speaks to the heart and says, listen, we care about you and your family. That's that kind of comfort of love, real comfort food, amen. All right, that was, that was for fun. He goes on and he talks about the companionship of the Spirit. And think about this, the, the word fellowship is translated from the Greek, which means a fellowship or communion or joint participation. And so we see here that he says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and he's talking about that our fellowship is with and through the Spirit of God. And so the early church experienced a fellowship in prayer, a fellowship of the Word, a fellowship of sufferings, and a fellowship of the Spirit. And that's got to be our desire. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, it says, Then had the church rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You see, they were walking together. They were comforted by one another. They were able to fellowship through these times together. Real fellowship is not coordinated. It's created by the Holy Spirit. So when we walk in Him, we are comforted by Him to continue to be faithful to Him. And so when no human comfort can soothe the broken or grieving heart, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit can. This is what Jesus said. Well, just as the disciples were about to, uh, to depart, in the, or He was about to depart the disciples and be crucified in John 14, He said, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. Who is that church? Holy Spirit. That He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it receiveth not Him, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And so here we have the Holy Spirit that abides within us, and He is that one that fellowships and creates the real, genuine fellowship together. And the last thing He mentions in verse 1 is He says, If there be any bowels and mercies. Now, Hebrews regarded the bowels as a seat of tender affections, like we would say the heart. If there be any compassion, if you will, any benevolence, any kindness. Uh, that's, that's what he's referring to here. And so we see this compassion uh, and, and this mercy. If the Holy Spirit creates this compassion, uh, it's not something that's often naturally born. But the Spirit gives us a compassion for the lost. He gives us a compassion for those who are in need. He gives us a compassion for one another. And so that's why we're commanded in Romans 12 to be willing to rejoice with those that are rejoicing and to be able to weep with those that are weeping. He says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice. 
Weep with them that weep. And so as we consider this, the God tells us that uh, that desire to, com- to have those bowels and mercies or compa- compassion, he says that flows from the Spirit of God at work in a life. And so it's important that we walk in the Spirit. This is part of that fellowshipping in the Spirit together. It's, a, it's vital that we do that. But we also see this need to continue in the Spirit. I'll remind you that it's not just a once and done thing. This is a continuation. We talk about discipleship, and discipleship is not a a, a one-time thing. You go through these 14 lessons and you're done. Discipleship is a lifestyle. It's a pattern of following after Jesus Christ all of your days. And the discipleship series that that we're doing is just a way to teach people how to begin that pattern of following Jesus Christ. In verse number two, he says, fulfill you my joy. He says, if there be these things, then fulfill you my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I'm thankful that he, he kicks off and he says, if there be therefore any consolation of Christ, if these things exist, then fulfill you my joy that you continue. Be willing to continue to go forward in these things. You know, it's, it's always got to be, how can we serve the Lord more? How, what can we do great, how can we do greater things for God going forward? And so as we think about this, to continue, it needs to be in unity. Unity is never kept by accident, is it? If it continues, there, there are reasons for this continuation. I like what Warren Wiersbe mentioned. He said, Paul knew what some church workers today do not know, that there is a difference between unity and uniformity. True spiritual unity comes from within. It's a matter of the heart. Uniformity is the result of a pressure from without. This is why Paul opens this section uh, appealing to the highest possible spiritual motives. Since believers at Philippi are in Christ, this ought to encourage them to work toward unity and love, not division and rivalry. In a gracious way, Paul is saying to the church, your disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem in your fellowship. It isn't going to be solved by rules or threats. It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and with each other. That's what he says. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul wanted them to see that the basic cause of disunity really was selfishness, wasn't it? Think about uh, in, your, in our homes. I, I'm so thankful for children. But they give you a, a brand new uh, perspective on some things, don't they? And we think about uh, the, the, uh, just them as they grow, grow up. And I don't know about you, but I've seen in my kids myself revealed too many times. And I'm not talking about it in a good way either. I'm like, where did they get that? And then I have to think back, they got that from me. I want to blame it on their mother, but that's not true. It's all my fault. And, you know, we see this oftentimes that, that the disgruntled and the arguments come from the selfishness that's within. No, that's my toy when they were younger. Or, no, I got the remote. It's my turn to choose or whatever it may be. This is my phone. Or I, our kids don't have phones, but they have play phones. And so they fight over a play phone. Tell me about that. I said, well, you're not getting real ones, that's for sure. <laughs> Listen, the cause of selfishness or selfishness is, is caused by our pride. There can be no joy in life of a Christian who puts himself above others. In James 4, 6, God reminds us, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, 
God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. What a great reminder is he says, be like-minded. Like-minded means to be of the same mind, to cherish the same views, to be harmonious. And Paul stated, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain in, in Philippians 1.21. He says, my, my focus in my life is Christ. Everything about Jesus is what I want to focus on in my life. He says, that is my single purpose for living. That's the only reason he existed. And so like-mindedness doesn't mean that we walk and that we think exactly alike, but rather the Holy Spirit brings our thoughts and our ideas into a unit of harmony. Aren't you thankful that no one else is just like you? Amen. I'm thankful that, that you know, God's given us in the church people who have different strengths and 1 Corinthians 12 deals with this. And he says, and some, some are the hands and some of the feet, some of the eyes. He says, listen, we can't live one without the other. This is why, as a church, it's so vital that we work together. But he also says that we have one accord. The phrase being of one accord refers to being united in spirit as well. And so continuing in fellowship requires us to be of one accord, to have this similar focus, if you will. In marriage, I often tell people that if you focus on your spouse, there will eventually be trouble. Uh, for example, if I, if I say, I'm just going to focus everything I have on my wife and fulfilling her needs and to give her 100%, I say, You're, you got it wrong. And you, know, and you think, well, that doesn't sound right, but here's the reality is eventually if my focus is all on her, I'm going to notice all of her peculiarities her problems, and the fact that maybe she's not as focused on me as I am on her, and so there, there becomes a problem. And so what I tell couples, I say, focus on Jesus Christ. It, make Him your focus. And when you're both focused on Christ, listen, He's perfect. You're not going to find any flaws there, but you're going to be drawn together because of your singular focus. And so it, so it is in the church. If we've got to draw together on a singular focus, and, and He is the same as what we were just talking about in marriage, and His name is Jesus Christ. We've got to bring Him to the forefront of everything we do. I appreciate Brother McCarty said, you know, this prophecy stuff needs to be all about Jesus. I said, amen, brother. We've got to always come back to Christ. Why do, why do we care? Because, of, because Christ gave it to us, first off. But we're also looking forward to His coming. Man, I, I'm excited about Christ's coming. I can't wait, and I hope that we're more prepared as a result of what Christ teaches us through, through His Word. And so if we're focused on Christ, we're going to see that we're going to naturally draw closer together. And so that's why He says, listen, let, if they fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord he said, of one mind. But we see here that as, as we see that there should be a fellowship in the Spirit, but also a friendship from the heart. You know, God desires for us to, to care for one another. In verse number 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. As Paul writes this, it comes on the conclusion of chapter 1, and he says, he says, just encourages them, strive together for the sake of the gospel. He's urging them to keep that singleness of mind, that singleness of heart on Jesus Christ. The secret joy in spite of circumstances is the single mind. The secret joy in the spite of people is a submissive mind. And as we consider this, submissiveness in our spirit to God brings great comfort to us. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart they shall see God. What are your motives? Let's talk about having the right motives, first and foremost. In the first part of this verse, he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. 
The word strife means electioneering for office. It is a desire to put oneself forward, even with a partisan or fractious spirit. And Proverbs 13.10 reminds us, Only by pride cometh what, church? Contention, but with the well-advised wisdom. And so pride destroys our ability to walk with the Lord. It destroys our ability to walk together, to have unity in spirit. And so uh, we can't uh, stress the importance enough of being able to walk humility in humility and having the right kinds of motives, not in strife or vainglory, but willing to say, Lord, I, I just want to follow you because, one, it's commanded, but because I love you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 is... Uh, Paul was teaching uh, Timothy here. We see that as we teach and we preach and we serve others, it must be done with humility. He said, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such draw thyself. He says, listen, so there's going to be some that come into among, your, among you that desire to look like they know it all. He says, be careful. The spirit is a spirit of pride. He says, they really don't know anything because they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They're not walking in the spirit. And then we see that living in strife, is really like acting like Satan. In James chapter 3, in verses 13, uh, 14 through 16, as James talks about this, he says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. From where uh, envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And so let us have a desire. Listen, I don't want to stir the pot. I'm not looking to cause strife. I'm looking to just simply uh, uh, just to uh, demonstrate the unity of the Spirit as we follow Him together. So not with strife. He says, let, let nothing be done through strife. Not trying to electioneer or, or promote myself, but promote Jesus Christ. And then he also says, or vainglory. Vainglory means a groundless and empty pride. A vain opinion. It's often associated with a person who does things for personal prestige. Self-glory is groundless because we can do nothing of ourselves. John 15 and verse number 5, Jesus reminds us. Our source of strength, our source of power is from Him. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. He says, for without me... Ye can do nothing. You see, we need Him. We're completely dependent upon Him. And so as a church, we, we rest upon Him. We, we must come to Him and say, listen, Lord, we need You. It's not about me. It's not in strife or vainglory. It's not in my own ability. But it's all in You and through You that we see God get the victory. But we also see the right kind of means here as we uh, desire this. Uh, in verse number 3, he says, But in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. He says this lowliness of mind indicates that we are to really to have a humble mind, a humble spirit. And, and we see this really. He lays out all of these principles in the first four verses here, but he gives us the example of Jesus following this. But he, he teaches us that humility needs to be uh, lifted up 
in our lives. The church, the, the, the world teaches us, you know, it's all about self and about taking care of yourself so you can take care of others. But God teaches us, listen, let each esteem others better than themselves. Sometimes husbands or wives maybe believe that they're better than their spouse. This belief can only undermine the marriage. If a spouse would treat the other as being superior, their marriage would eventually uh, and undoubtedly be stronger. The word, because as we see here, he's, God desires for us to esteem or respect and value one another. And so I remind you of Ephesians 5 as, as the Apostle Paul comes here and he teaches about the marriage and about the relationship there. And in Ephesians 5, verses 28 and 29, he says, So ought men to love their own, wife, or own bodies, oh, excuse me, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, even as uh, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it. And cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. It's natural for us to care for our own bodies, but this is what he says love your wife, men, as God loves a church. Man, that's a high calling. You think about this with me. Jesus gave everything to the church. He gave everything so that the church could go forward. He gave everything so that he could establish and create the church. When was the last time we were willing to give up a day playing golf? That was any time for me, I'll be honest. <laughs> or maybe a day hunting, or maybe a day doing your own hobbies. When was the last time you did that so you could spend time with your spouse, with your wife? Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it, and so it's led us to do, do the same. The humble person is not one who thinks meanly of themselves. He just simply doesn't think of himself at all. Humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. Because the truly humble person knows himself and accepts himself, and yet he yields that to Christ to be a servant, to use what he is and has for the glory of God. And we think about this, God calls us to one last thing in verse number 4, to focus on the needs of others. And all that, all that he's taught so far, it's really about putting uh, ourself uh, allowing others to come before ourselves, serving the Lord, walking with the Spirit, being willing to invest in the friendships of those around us, and really to focus on the needs of others. He says in verse 4, Look not, on, uh, look not every man on the things of others, uh, but every man also, excuse me, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so we see there's a couple of things that he points out. First off, put, look past our own interests. Matthew Henry states, a selfish spirit is destruct, uh, destructive of Christian love. And so the Apostle Paul sacrificed his own needs in, in, oftentimes to spread the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 33, he talks about this in the end of the chapter here. He says, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. His heart's desire, we see this in, in Romans 10, 1, was that the Israel may be saved. His desire was that people would be saved. You know, what a, what a tremendous uh, thing that he invested in, that he would see people saved. When we give to faith promise missions, oftentimes we do it by faith. And we give, and, and sometimes we think, Lord, I don't know where this is going to come from. And it could be that we give up a TV subscription so someone could hear the gospel of Christ. 
It could be that we're giving up that $5 coffee drink that you like every day at Starbucks so that someone could come to Christ. It could be that you're, you give up something. This is what it means by looking past your own interests, your own needs to help the gospel go into all the world. He says, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. May that be our desire. And he goes on and he says, past our interests and look to the needs of others. So how do we do that? First off, give encouragement. Man, what an encouraging thing it is when uh, you get a note in the mail or you, somebody comes along beside you and they just want to uh, just, just offer a hand up. I appreciate those who have helped the last couple of weeks on our stairwell project. Man, what a blessing that's been to have many hands making light work. When Timothy was young and in the pastorate, Paul was about to be martyred. And he wrote two letters to Timothy to encourage him and challenge him to continue to go forward. And they're, they're just great treasure troves for us today. Also, we see that God calls us to give friendship. Jonathan, for example, could have joined his father and Saul and incited against David and turned against him. But instead, he desired to, uh, to just be loyal to his friend and loyal to God in the time when he needed it the most. We can give attention to the hurts of others. We have the example of the Good Samaritan. As he passed by on that, that day, he saw a man who was robed and he, excuse me, robbed and he was beaten. And we see that he laid aside his own concerns and his own, even his own money to attend to the stranger's hurts and injuries. Listen, that's what God's calling us to, looking to the needs of others. Real consolation. Or real comfort that God provides is found when we begin to minister to the needs of those around us. If you're struggling today in a, in a trial, let me just, uh, just point you to Paul's example here. Though he was in prison and though he was suffering, he reached out to encourage others around him. You may be imprisoned by health and you may be imprisoned by finances. You may be imprisoned by all kinds of things. But I remind you that just as Paul was imprisoned in, for his faith... You may feel imprisoned as well. And God says, listen, continue to reach out to those around you to be an encouragement and a blessing to them. He found joy in serving others. If we're going, if we're going to find this joy, if we're going to find God's consolation, it's going to come when we are willing to focus on Him. Let's walk together in Christ. Let's be willing to say, you know, God, I'm going to just make sure that, that I continue to focus on your word and continue to, to give uh, you everything I need because I, I realize that he is the giver of all good gifts. Send that note. Make that meal. Make that call or make a visit. God will send you his consolation in your time of need.